0: what's up guys welcome back to another episode of behind the facade i am your host gavin j gallagher and on this podcast i explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market the key to success in this game is to master your mindset your behavior to take control of your thoughts your emotions and most importantly your ego so here we are on episode 63 Uh, Last week, I was talking about confidence and the mindset and I thought it was a a good opportunity to plug my upcoming mastermind, details of which you guys will have received by email at this stage. And if you haven't received an email, then please reach out and connect with me over social media if you are interested in participating in that mastermind. Um, It's going out to everybody who is on my email list and so if you haven't already added your name to the email list, you can find that at gavinjgallaher.com forward slash go. All right, so this, this week, my guest is Mr. Andrew MacDonald. Now, Andrew is a London-based commercial property agent, and he has been in this sector for over 25 years. So tons of experience and knowledge to kind of pass on to us today. The discussion is going to go into a lot of you know the the various things that andrew's seeing in the market but um he's also going to give some of his views on the direction that he believes the market is going to go and some of the opportunities that he is actually looking at himself nowadays because he's recently set up a new venture called credo living and this is a venture between his agency business and an architectural firm called windsor patineer and they are looking at conversion of uh, redundant commercial into residential, which we've spoken about with a couple of different people over the last while. So this is just a good example of some of the partnership, uh, partnerships that are taking off at the moment, with people sort of looking at uh, partnering up or joint venturing with somebody who can kind of complement your skill set. So if you've got, you know, an area that you're not particularly good at, it's always a good idea to go out and find somebody who can plug that gap. And finally, after the discussion and all that stuff, I'm going to get into my favourite topic with Andrew, and that is, of course, mindset and mental strength. And we have a good old chat about Andrew's newfound interest in motorbikes and NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. And in particular, we talk about his uh, experience doing an ultramarathon across the Sahara Desert. So it's going to be a good episode today, guys. I hope you're going to enjoy my conversation with Mr. Andrew MacDonald. Welcome, Andrew MacDonald.
1: How are you doing today, Andrew? Yes, I'm good. I'm good, Gavin. And thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on here. It's great to be, great to be talking to you. It's great to be talking to you too, Andrew. I'm just,
0: I mean, today we've got an interesting conversation. We're going to talk about agency, we're going to talk about commercial property, and we're also going to talk about interests outside of property, because that's something that you and I have been tagging back and forth on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but just before we get into that, just look, for the people who don't know anything about you, like what, what would how would you describe yourself?
1: Well, um, yes, yeah, good question, I suppose, isn't it? Just just purely in a property context, I've been um, a commercial property agent for 25 years, uh, and that is dealing solely in, or say solely, 95% in the retail uh, and associated sectors like leisure. Um, I've split my time between being a a leisure, sorry, a a letting agent, uh, and uh, more latterly, the last 10 or so years, or 15 years, I've been a commercial investment broker. So Buying and selling uh, high street properties, or primarily high street properties, for a range of clients, um, mainly institutional and large property companies and high net worth individuals. Um, so that's that's a point summary. I've I've um, I've recently set up a, a development platform as well, which is keeping me interested. Uh, so yeah, that's that'll be phase phase two or three of my career, which I'm just starting out on.
0: Well, we're going to get into all that today. Um, just from the from the point of view of a little bit of context, can you give us a bit of your backstory. I mean, how did you
1: find yourself in the property industry? Um, yeah, like, like most, uh, or like many people at the age of 18, you know, forced, forced faced with the prospect of going to university, but really not having a clue what you wanted to do with your life. Uh, you know, I'm quite envious of those that did at the time, had, had a vision, but all I knew that I was, I was expected to go to university. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. So I did uh I did the easiest thing that was available to me and that was follow follow my my dad's footsteps. Um he was a, a surveyor and a property developer so I I did um I did a surveying course in uh yeah University of West of England as it was and then you yeah, know 3 years of that a year out afterwards and and then suddenly I was in a desk in the West End on a desk in the West End in a in a suit and tie not not knowing how quite how i got there. It's um, funny
0: but, a lot of people that's exactly the same kind of story all right yeah. Um yeah. It's interesting and so you wouldn't describe yourself as being kind of passionate about property before you got interested or anything like that it was just a means to an end kind of thing
1: yeah i guess so i mean I, my, my dad my dad really enjoyed it um and i think uh i think property surveying over the last 30 or 40 years has gone through a bit of a change from, you know, from when he was a he was a young surveyor and uh and such like, it was a different industry to what it is now. But I, I remember when I was growing up that he had a good time. He had a good work-life balance. He did okay out of it. Um, and you know, he, seemed to, he seemed to have freedom when he wanted to and uh, you know, had to work hard when, he, when it was required. So you know, to me, it looked pretty good. You know, I, I had no real firm interest in, in buildings or such like, but as a, as a career, it sort of seemed to tick many of the boxes. Ticks the box.
0: Yeah. Lots and <clears throat> I mean, obviously, you've gone into co-founding your own firm and things like that. But what came before that? You worked in a sort of a, a mainstream kind of firm for a couple of years.
1: Yeah. So I, I had a really um, uh, typical route, route in. Um, so, you know, I got I got recruited into a company called Cherston Herd in the mid 1990s. Um, they They're a retail consultancy um and uh, who eventually got bought out by jones lang i, sp- I spent a, a few years there then i went to stratton parker I had six years there in the, in the west end Then i went to a company called nelson bakewell i had 10 years there wow when the company called cwm a retail consultancy and i had six years there but it was really all very typical stuff that um you know office in the west end um you know i got you know i got i got there through applying from their sort of graduate graduate programs and it's a it's a sort of a fairly familiar career path, really, you know, it's a nine to five job, nine to five job, um, you know, various levels of corporate activity in, in the companies, you know, I've been in niche companies and big companies, but really, it's quite a standard way through for a lot of surveyors just to get into the big consultancies and, you know, and march their way through over the years. So, mm. you know, some spin out to do their own stuff, and then some, but some stay there till they retire.
0: And I mean, I know I was very much involved in the in the retail kind of sector uh, as a developer back in the kind of early two thousands, and it was a very very lucrative business to be in. Um, obviously, it's it's gone through quite a change in the last eighteen months or so. I mean, from from your perspective, do you see the market returning, uh, or do you think that it's kind of gone through this kind of? Once in a lifetime kind of disruption that's going to completely change the direction that it's going to go.
1: This is the retail market. Um, So when yeah, so you know, I've I've seen the issues coming down the track for 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 a good few years, Um, and my my concern was it was going to be you know death by a thousand cuts, a really sort of long, slow, drawn out process of people they're you know, removing themselves from the retail market, but done gradually and you know painfully and leading to a long period of inertia. Mm. I think what COVID did, um, if if you know if one takes positives about it, it accelerated that entire process. Um so there's been a really big shakeup in um in the retail sector amongst the the consultancies, the developers, you know, we've seen big companies go bust um you know in, into and uh uh to name one um, so I think there's just been a massive, a massive shaking up. And I think that provides the platform and a, and a, and a sort of a clear mandate for, for people with vision to come in now and make and make their mark. Um, so, you know, with, with great disruption, which is what we've seen over the last 18 months, there's, you know, the, a marketplace is created. So, so I think there is, you know, deals to be done and business to be done uh, going forward. You know, right now we're still you know, we're still limping out of, out of COVID. So it's, it's very tough, but yeah, um, you know, I, I, you know, as I say, with, with disruption comes opportunity. And, and for those with vision and, and, uh, and forethought, I think, you know, could do quite well out of what's coming ahead.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, I've been looking at it just from the, as a kind of consumer. Um, there's a, there's a village near where I live and it's, um, it's got a couple of how I would kind of describe as artisan cafes where they, They bake their own, you know, scones and, you know, they make sandwiches and all that. And there would be queues out the door for these places. And then across the street, there'll be a Starbucks and a Costa. And so, and there's like (laughs) nobody going near these places. And so it seems like on the same street where there's clearly a demand for coffee and scones and all that, that just people are kind of pushing away from the big brands and very much heading towards The kind of almost like a craft side to things. Um, Is that how you're seeing it over in the UK as well?
1: Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely space for the and and the opportunity now for the artisans and the you know artisan bakers and the and the one man bands um, to come out and you know actually take space. I I think there's always been appetite for it, but where where they've struggled is actually to pay the rents, which the likes of Starbucks and, and Costas have been able to do. Mm. Uh, and also, they don't have covenants, so landlord. That's the
0: covenant is the biggest thing, isn't it? Yeah, from a from mm. a landlord point of view, you'd prefer to have a Starbucks there. Yeah. Whether or not they're popular, at least from a banking point of view, they're pretty stable.
1: Yeah, there, there's just been no there's been no consumer choice, is there? That you know, it's been yeah. Starbucks, Cafe Nero, Costa Coffee. Yeah, this is just in the in the in the coffee sector. So you know, they've been busy, but you know, you bring you bring in independent retailers, you know, who've got a good manager and a good owner who you know who pull their heart and soul into it that's where people want to spend their time isn't it not in some sort of face faceless brand
0: yeah it's uh, so true
1: yeah so that's um, you know, that is one of the good things which is going to come out of this the the, the, the one-man bands the the local operators will 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 have that ability to open stores again
0: yeah no i think it's it's not all bad all right for sure i mean from the point of view of residential market obviously it's like it's tearing away mm-hmm. um Do you have any ideas on on the future of residential? I mean, I've been thinking about it from the point of view of, you know, it's at the moment it's it's on a tear and it's doing incredibly well. But behind that, there's obviously, you know, 18 months of disruption that caused the supply chain delays and all that kind of stuff. And so the demand that's there at the moment isn't necessarily Mm. real demand, uh, you know, realistic kind of demand that you would expect the market to have. And so, and then on top of that, You've got the fact that um, people have saved up all of the, this money and, and stuff like that, and this kind of it's going to be unleashed. But you've also got the the government support schemes and the you know the the stimulus and things like that. Do you think there's a a risk of the residential market kind of dropping off a bit at some point in the future, rather than tearing on as it's been going?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, you've only got to sort of read. Two sides of a newspaper at any given weekend, and you'll and you'll see that house prices are at a record high, and you know we've had record growth. And you could t- you could turn over the following page, and you'll read about, you know, we this is a three hundred year recession that we're in. Um, yeah,
0: that's the thing. It's strange, isn't it? It's it, it it's it's counter. It's kind of going against all of the the wisdom. I mean, eighteen months ago, I was saying we're going to be in for a recession. And I've been sitting there eating my shoe as I watch the market tear away. And I'm like, what the hell yeah. is going on with this market? But I don't think it's I don't think it can last forever. And, I, and I'm just curious, just what you do you have a, an insight
1: on where do you think it, the well, market could go? Um, I've no I've no real insight apart from you know, just my sort of feeling as a property professional. And, I, you know, the, the economics don't. Don't uh, back up the you know the current circumstance as far as I can see. So I, I would be I would be um, I'd be sort of cautious about my approach to. Well, I am cautious about my approach to residential. If you're going know, to buy, buy, buy well, buy cheap. Um, but uh, yeah, but but what there is is a is a sort of a shake up in the way we live, isn't there? There's um, the so work I, from I, home and all that. Yeah, work from home. Yeah. So you know whether that means there's going to be continued activity because people want to move out of the cities and into the countryside. Um, uh, you know, that, that's going to carry on driving the market for a while. So, you know, we might get two tier markets. We might get the city centers suffering for a bit if, if there is a sort of a, a big migration from, you know, flat living and apartment living into, into the suburbs. Um, you know, we might, we might get continued health, house growth in the nice commuter towns. Yeah, to be seen, but just really a bit of caution is required, I think. It's a difficult one, all right, because I, I kind of feel like that
0: cities will bounce back, you know, um, big, big organizations. They thrive on the collective energy that comes from, you know, a big office and lots of people sort of mm. turning up and stuff. And this forced kind of change of our way and stuff like that has been nice and I've enjoyed the the balance that it's given me and stuff like that. But you have to kind of wonder, like when it comes to ambitious young people, you know, thriving, you know, wanting to kind of get ahead and stuff. And what does it take to get ahead? Well, you know, you want to be seen by your manager. You want to be the boss to kind of notice how, how many hours you work compared to the other people. And so a lot of that just is kind of being missed at the moment. And so I kind of think that there'll be this migration back to the city by those kind of people. And there'll be. A splitting of you know salaries and stuff like that you know if you want to live down the country well then you're going to have to take a commensurate pay cut you know um it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out uh, obviously i've been i've been looking at your um, your career and you, you you went from working in the big firms to starting co-founding co- your own two firms you've got credo living and you've got tandem real estate and um, tell us about those
1: um so t- t- yeah Tandem real estate is a continuation of or pretty much a continuation of what i've done for the last 25 years. Um, I mean I took the decision a couple of years ago that I wanted to sort of run my own my own agency uh, and, I, and I was working in a, in a primarily well a pure retail agency consultancy and it was just getting harder and harder to to buy sizable profitable property investments for you know my historic client base um, and it was difficult to you know position ourselves as multi-sector agents at my last retail consultancy so at tandem real estate we've got the ability to um uh, you know to do deals across all sectors you know industrial offices retail you know leisure sectors and such like so we've got we've got that platform uh, to do that and there's just me and uh, uh, me and another guy andy taylor the two of us doing that um and, uh, yeah, we've, we've got going at the beginning of this year. Um, you know, it's obviously a tough, a tough market. It's been a tough market, yeah. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen two or, three, uh, two or three markets, not quite as bad as this, but two or three similar markets. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, in the meantime, I've set up Credo Living, which is um, our commercial conversion platform. And that's a joint venture uh, between Tandem Real Estate and a firm of architects, Windsor Patanea. And, uh, you know, we are out looking for redundant town centre space, um, you know, for converting into into residential and perhaps other uses as well. Okay, I see. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this is kind of like high street stuff that's no longer in use or anywhere?
1: Yeah, um, it, it is It is high street, although I'm mindful about what I said a few minutes ago in, in yeah. terms of the city centres not being a sort of, you know, a place where people want to live. So um you know whilst i i agree with you i think the youth i think the youth will come back into our city centers over over a period of time um i think we've got to recognise that you know it might be slightly difficult to to really capitalise on that sort of small apartment living in the town centers for a little while so mm. you know the the good thing about being small and niche is that we can be i hopefully we can be fleet of foot um so you know we'll look at we'll look at other deals along the way as well which is what which is what we're doing but yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen the town centres, you know, in the retail market suffer over the over recent years. Um, you know, it's fallen in our favour that um, uh, you know the, the general permitted development order is, is is changing to you know to allow greater flexibility from commercial to residential. So that so that, so that bodes well.
0: Yeah, that's been helpful. All right, um, and and tell us, I mean, setting up your firm what kind of challenges did you face? I mean, obviously COVID being the number one, but, um, in terms of credo and stuff like that, I mean, um, I presume investment capital, you've got all of your own, your old connections and your old clients and stuff like that, that you can go and speak to about investing yeah. and things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, we do. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, we've got good contacts amongst sophisticated investors and, you know, the general property fraternity up in the West end. Um, you know, people have expressed interest in, in backing us. What what we're trying to do first of all is is create a bit of a track record. Um, so we're looking at sm- smaller deals at the moment, which we can which we can finance amongst the partnership and with some close close contacts. Um, <clears throat> you know, we will. We, you know, if we see if we see good bigger deals, we won't stop. At, we won't stop. But um, you know, at the moment, we're happy just to grow organically. Um, you know, produce a couple of good but profitable developments and you know with that track record um you know look, look, look to secure some more consistent line of finance it's going to be easier to do with um with a few deals under our belt but you know this is part of the reason why we why we teamed up with with uh, winds of pattern architects because we've got um you know we've got everything every there from sort of planning design development
0: purchase mm, yeah.
1: project management, capacity so you know it's we're, off, we're offering something else yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense and i mean do you i mean obviously the opportunity is just conversion of 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 you know what what was popular retail into residential is there any other sort of areas that you're looking at from from an opportunity point of view i mean it's uh, it, it's not all residential obviously i've been thinking about it from the point of view of you've got ghost kitchens now starting to become a thing and um, the last mile or the final mile as they call it in in terms of Warehouses and micro warehousing and stuff. Have you seen any trends or sort of things that are kind of starting to change that might present an opportunity for the, this kind of conversion?
1: Yeah, I mean there are, there are new occupiers coming in as as you say. I mean, we've got to be careful that we don't spread ourselves too thin and and you know chase every every new initiative. Um, but also we've got to be mindful that we've got to we got to move with the times. It's you know it's just one of those things yeah. <laughs> you have got, got to think on your feet really. Um, what I am interested in is the, uh, is the apart hotel sector, right? Um, I think there's going to be, and there are more coming into our town centres now. Um, and I think that's only, uh, that's only going to, that's only going to grow. So co-living in apart hotels, I think they're, I think they're good for our town centres going, going forwards, And I think they'll make good use of, of vacant buildings and vacant department stores. Um, so we're, we're sort of establishing and expanding our contacts in those in those markets as well. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, not trying to not trying to bite off too much at the moment. Uh,
0: the, co- the co-working is an interesting area, all right? I Our co-living, I should say. The um, I've been following the uh, the, the, the all the kind of stuff going on with the collective. Yes. And And um, Reza Merchant, he seems to have been kind of quite early into the game, and he's done very well out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, he—he was—he was. Well, I think probably the first, wasn't in his sights that you've got. Not that I've not that I've been to one. I haven't had that chance yet. But um, you know, I could imagine when you're sort of first starting out in 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 London as a as a twenty-something, it's probably a, a highly desirable place to live rather than a sort of a, gr- a grotty flat in you know above a high street. Um, that's the
0: thing. I think I think that's exactly what. Uh, he captured that immediate, you know, need for himself. I guess because he's he was of that kind of age group, and mm. you know, he also had I don't know. Anyway, we, we're not here to talk about resume, but <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to. Um, I mean, it's interesting that you brought that up, though, because here in Ireland, um, co living, uh, a lot of people are looking at co living, but there's actually been quite a bit of pushback from communities and stuff, and they don't want to see it going into that area. Do you yeah. find the same? Happening in the UK, or is it generally more welcome? Uh,
1: you know, that, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, co-living to some people is just a posh, a posh uh, fig leaf for an HMO, isn't it? That's yeah.
0: that's the thing, yeah. That's kind of the the yeah. terminology I've heard a few times, yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, I mean, HMOs, is a dirty word in, in in certain circles, but yeah, co-living when it's done well, it's not it's not cheap. You know, if you want to, if you want all the bells and, and whistles and uh, all the service that goes with it, then you're going to be paying you going to be paying a proper rent, and you know, with that, it should attract the you know, say well, the right people in you know, I don't know yeah, I mean.
0: professional kind of class rather than students.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, taking a high level view of the market, I mean, do you have any other you know ideas regarding you know just the direction that the market's going? I mean, obviously, logistics have seems to be doing incredibly well. Is there anything that you're seeing just as wearing your kind of agency hat? You know what are your what are the clients out there looking at that at the moment that's exciting
1: yeah i mean this is this is this is really difficult for the for the pension funds at the moment um you know the th- the three major sectors which they've been concentrating on over the years is is industrial retail and um uh, offices of course and you know that they've they've been turning their you know i'm talking a broad generalization in, in a way but you know you'll get my point they've been turning their back on on retail uh, for, you know, a good handful of years, mm. um, you know, with exceptions and, uh, you know, industrial, there's more interest in it, you know, from occupiers and, uh, you know, that that is bringing in the investors along with it as well. Um, but, you know, so as well as retail uh, falling by the wayside again, you know, as a generalisation, offices are... <laughs> It'll be impacted. As well. yeah, so yeah, you don't need to
0: tell me about that. I'm in a sitting in a business park here <laughs> about 1.5 million square feet of office, and pretty much I'd say 95% of it's vacant at the moment. Well, not vacant, but just simply unoccupied. Right, yeah. And um, it's yeah, it's it's a struggle all right to sort of I can imagine the pension funds because if they have these balance, they you know they they try to balance at a certain proportion. Yeah. And values are falling off on two of them then they're going to find themselves massively overweight in one and uh yeah. they have mandates and stuff like that to prevent that from happening don't they so they it forces them to kind of yeah. to do different things yeah. i just thought i uh, it's funny we were we were we were communicating on social media a little while back and i thought just changing tack right. the um the fact that you've um you, you you're out on your bike and uh you were enjoying kind of uh going across country on your on your bike one of the days and yeah. um I, I kind of thought oh well, that's a side to you that i don't know do you do you like the the whole biking sort of side to things i guess yeah
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't i wouldn't uh, you know i'm a sort of a a, a middle a midlife uh, enthusiast if that, if that makes sense. i get you yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah you know just it's just a process I've gone through it. I've had the sports car on the camper van, so so, <laughs> so it's the motorbike next, and I've run out of ideas after that but um, yeah, no, I enjoy it you know you've you got to get away we're we're you know we, we work we work hard, and it's you know if, if you don't have all, alternative things to do, it can be all all consuming, can't it? so well, that's one of the things
0: I was going to say is uh I mean rejuvenation after my couple of days away last week, I've come back to the office feeling like really rejuvenated and, and fresh and you know and it's something that I kind of realized that you know a lot of people they go out there and they work 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 and you don't realize how kind of that can numb you and your your creativity or your ability to kind of deal with issues and stuff like that actually becomes less and less effective the, the harder you work and so it's these having kind of like these these pastimes or these hobbies and stuff like that can actually be a great way to stay sharp and stuff like that and you mentioned also nlp is that something that you've um, that you've got an interest in
1: yeah well yeah that i mean that, I, I didn't sort of set out um looking to be uh, you know a certified practitioner of nlp but i did um i did take a coaching qualification last year um like i said took it i'm sort of three quarters of the way of the way through it so i you know i I, I, uh, I sort of looked back at, at the early stages of my career and, and uh, wondered if I might have benefited from a sort of a, a firm hand on the tiller i think in the in the surveying fraternity it's been pretty poor um, right. giving giving the youth uh, a guiding hand i don't know what it's like nowadays because I haven't worked at one of the big you know one of the very big companies for a while I suspect it's better but i uh, you know I did set myself thinking that you know with some proper coaching and mentoring whether a you know, whether I might have um, been a bit further advanced than, than, I, than I got. Um, you know, I've had a great time and, and such like. But um, anyway, so thinking about that, I wondered whether I, I could possibly help. Um, so I took some, uh, some coaching qualifications last year to, to actually be able to do it professionally rather than, you know, rather than just as a, uh, as a side, well, as a sideline. Um, so I've had good fun doing that. I've been uh, mentoring some younger property professionals, helping them along the way. And then um, uh, the further you get into that, then you sort of work out that NLP, you know, Neurolinguistic programming, I put my false teeth in, is um, is a useful sort of adjunct to it. You know, it's all about getting the best out of yourself. Um, talking, it's very effective.
0: I mean, that that is one of the uh, strands, I suppose, of of mindset. And and this whole podcast that I do is is very much focused on mindset. And um, last week's podcast was all about you know, confidence. And and I think a lot of people out there are interested in becoming property investors, but the one thing that they kind of lack at the, at the outset is confidence. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, neuro-linguistic programming would actually be a very useful aspect mm-hmm. to kind of add to that because when people are starting out, they really kind of, their mind is working against them, uh, you know, because you lack that confidence of, of doing your first deal and yeah. you kind of, you, know, you don't know, uh, am I doing something right? Am I doing something wrong? And like you say, having a coach or a mentor and stuff like that is, is kind of a valuable asset to have. Uh, I know, looking back at my own career, I, I, I got very lucky in a couple of occasions and I made a lot of money on a couple of deals and it immediately went to my head and I suddenly thought, oh, I've you know, figured out the magic formula for making money and I can, yep. do, I can do this everywhere. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I was humbled pretty quickly by the market. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had had a a mentor or a coach, or somebody that was you know much more more experienced in my corner, and was somebody that could sort of say, "Hold on a second, have a look at what you're doing here. This is definitely you know you're getting out over your skis. It's time to kind of take a step back." Yeah. And that would have saved me a lot of money. And I kind of think to myself, what you've just said, similarly, agency, you know, young guys starting out and stuff like that. That there's probably not. Enough people that have that bit of experience to kind of like teach you
1: yeah. well, the it's, ways. It's considered, in, you know, it's, it, it'll be considered a, a luxury in in these big practices. You know, if you're not if you're not making money, then you're not particularly useful. You know, some of these big surveying fraternities took on the HR departments with a, you know, they didn't want those, but you know, they've had to move with their time with the times. And I think a good coach and mentor will will will, will pay for himself or, or herself. Yeah, you know, they'll get the best out of their staff, staff retention, um, you know, improving the company culture, you know, n- number of reasons why a coach and mentor is is good for a business over and above what they cost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, and if you look at some of the bigger firms like Google and stuff, they they bring in these guys all the time and they pay for them to, to speak and to kind of like fire up the staff and yeah and all that kind of stuff. And I know that the people like Simon Sinek and stuff like that, they're paid like ten thousand dollars to come in and speak to yeah. your you know and and it, a lot of the uh of the people that work there would find them it incredibly valuable to have somebody like that coming in at your lunch hour and kind of giving a talk yeah. or whatever so yeah it's money well spent um we were, we were talking about um one of the things that i like to talk about is uh, is discipline and um and you yeah. know personal discipline and stuff and so i'm big into ironman training and things like that and and you you hinted at the fact that you've done the the American marathon to Um yeah, Tell yeah. us about that. Now, there'll be a lot of people now that don't even know what that is. So why don't you just give us a little rundown on that?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that that was another sort of um, delve into my midlife crisis. I, I did that at uh, I did that at forty. So that was after the camper van, but before the motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I got into I got into exercise. I don't know when you did, Gavin, but you know, between leaving university in my mid thirties, you know, if I went to the gym a half a dozen times, it would probably, you know, I played golf and that was my exercise. Um, and then I got into my thirties and I thought, oh, is, you know, this is, you <laughs> know, these trousers aren't comfortable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah. So, um, and I needed to, you know, I, I, I need, I need, so, I need an outlet for my energy. And it's, you know, it wasn't the bars and the nightclubs anymore. It had to be, had to be running and, and, uh, and the gym. So I got into, you know, various, um, you know sort of running it running races and uh, you know across the uk i did a, a few races ne- never particularly well but i thoroughly enjoyed them and and then um you know i found myself from going from a 10k to a half marathon to a marathon and then i had done an ultra marathon and all of a sudden somebody asked me to sign up to to the marathon de sable and um i just couldn't say no really <laughs> uh, that's yeah.
0: that that's fine isn't that five days of a marathon a day or and there's double marathon towards the end or something
1: yeah it's uh it's six it's six in seven days so um it's six marathons in seven days, days. yeah and the, it's
0: not not on roads no
1: it's no, across it, the desert in the Sahara <laughs> it's it's in the southern Sahara you know it, it, parts of it are really like you'd see in, in in Lawrence of Arabia with the sort of big tumbling dunes and the sort of sun beating down and and camels uh and camels walking across uh you know that's that's probably about 20 percent of it there's there some rocky terrain but, but it's great fun well going up those dunes isn't so much fun but coming down the other side is is a bit of a giggle but um yeah I, uh yeah i did all right actually you know I, I i i competed and uh i i improved each day and it took a few years for my feet to get better but um yeah, I would have thought. I can't, you know, nobody can take that achievement away from me now, so. Um, and so, and
0: yeah. tell us, I mean, how do you train for something like that? I mean, I actually, I have a friend who who did it about 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. And he he was, he's a very, very uh, analytical kind of guy. And he, this is, you know, he, he went off and he researched all this kind of stuff. But he f- made all these kind of like decisions about his health and things like that. and Yeah. And it took him, I suppose, a good year of planning to kind of like to kind of go out and do it. And he said that he he arrived in the Sahara, you know, feeling like he was absolutely ready for this. And there was all these, you know, these kind of French legionnaire kind of guys, you know, with the white hat and all this. And they were they were all there. And then some guy turned up in a pink bunny outfit and wanted to run the entire thing in the bunny outfit for charity or something like that (laughs) and he was just like are you kidding and all these uh, these like legionnaire kind of guys were like you know offended like that somebody would you know turn up and this like great you know history of this event and the guy's in a pink bunny outfit but by the end of it the guy made it to i think the fifth day in the bunny outfit and and actually passed out and didn't make it to the finish. But they actually were amazed that he had made it as far as he had. And they all thought, like, huge respect for the guy and stuff. But my, my friend had, like, he said it was a spiritual experience. Like, it was so challenging mentally. And uh, I think he, he he mentioned that he came across a, a, a Moroccan Like I think it was a military, you know, recruit or something like that, and he was trying to prove himself to his unit by doing this. And he remembers coming upon him and his runners were completely red from bleeding, and that his feet were like basically like minced meat and he actually, he he burst into tears looking at the pain that this poor guy was going through. And he said, like, he's not an emotional person. And they said it had such a deep effect on him doing this. I mean, did you, did you have any of that kind of experience or how tough was it mentally to do six um,
1: days? It, yeah, the... the... So yes, yeah, so it's 250k 150 miles. I I you know, and they talk about um they talk about the blisters. I, I got my first blister on the sole of my foot after 10k and I thought, well, wow.
0: wow. you're going to struggle with the 150 to go.
1: Yeah. Um but you're not you're not on your feet for too long per day and I think uh, you know that's what got me through it. So it's just under a marathon a day you know, that could take five or six hours. And, uh, you know, I just I just got into the mindset that the rest of my time of that day would have been, you know, sitting on my backside. Um, but, uh, God, I mean, it is hot. It is super hot. And, and you know, there are times there where, you, where you're where thinking, what, you know, what am I doing? What have I entered into? But, um, yeah, you know, the, the camaraderie is fantastic. Um, you yeah, know, the, the, the evenings are great. You know, it's... And there are things which just drag you through, it, drag you through it to the end. And really, you, you know, if, if if you're halfway through the course in a day, you can't stop. So you've got to, yeah. you've got to finish. Um, and, and some, you know, I, I went there to do as good a time as I as I could. Um, and it was, you know, it was hard work. It was really quite painful. But a lot of people, you know, I was forty when I went, and uh, I was probably just under average age. Um, and a lot of people go, you know, just to you know, just to accomplish something and, and walk the course, and mm-hmm. uh, just just enjoy themselves. It'll be a different. It'll be a different event if you went there and walked it. It'd be quite it'd be actually quite quite good fun, I think.
0: Very Pleasant, yeah. Well, I mean, it is kind of a bucket list item in a sense, isn't it? It's. Uh, wow. I, I mean, I've I'm, I'm training for the Ironman, and I was supposed to do it last year. It got cancelled. Then this year was the year that it was going, to, and it got the event got cancelled again, and so now it's supposed to be next year. And I'm thinking to myself, when will this? Damn it! Like I've done a couple of half-distance marath- uh, triathlon, or Ironman races, but I've never done the full distance. And yeah. it's a little bit like that. It's like to accomplish it. It's on my list there. Like I want to want to do that. But yes, uh, uh, you know, to do fi- to do two hundred and fifty kilometers in in six days seems like an insane kind of level of fitness.
1: Well, when I, mean, I did tell myself numerous occasions, what I was doing it. Uh, you know, never, ever, 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 ever again. <laughs> uh, and that's still very vivid in my mind. Um, uh, but, you know, if you put yourself out there, you've got to finish. Otherwise, you know, what's the yeah. alternative? Um, so, you know, I'd rather put myself at the start line and then find, find a way to conclude it rather than never toe the line and, and wonder what if. Yeah, uh, that's
0: true. I mean, I think it's a great I think these things are great ways to to just from a mental standpoint, I think it's very important to set yourself these kind of stretch goals. And you know, a stretch goal is something that it should, you know, it should make you step back and think, "Whoa, that's maybe too much. Maybe that's beyond what I'm capable of." Mm. If it, if it do, if you don't have that immediate reaction, then it's not really a stretch goal at all. Mm. And um, I can remember on a few occasions doing something like that. And I did did the New York Marathon back in 2002, and it was the first time I ever did a marathon. And I can remember thinking to myself never again and then the following year there I was lined up to start again and do it and, and try to beat my time so it's it's funny how the mind kind of plays games
1: yeah yeah well I think I think just on an NLP route I think every time you say to yourself I'm not going to do it or I can't do it you, you know you're talking you're talking to your subconscious aren't you you're, you're convincing yourself that you're not good enough and and conversely every time you you know you, you pick up the courage or the stupidity to to toe the line and and uh um, and get through the race by hook or by crook. You, you know, you, you've you've reinforced the fact that you are, you know, quite useful,
0: capable, yeah, well, yeah. and determined, and and all that, yeah. No, that's great, um, Andrew. We're coming to the end of our time. I just uh, one of the questions that I ask my guest every week is um, for yeah. some advice, um, but not to the general. I, what advice would you give yourself now, looking back on your career and knowing what you know? Is there uh, some advice that you would give your younger self um, that you wish you had received at the time?
1: Um, Yeah, so that that's a good question, isn't it? I suppose um, I mean I should have bought my first house earlier, but that's 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 boring, isn't it? Um,
0: (laughs) Well, it's a lot of people who listen to this be thinking, "Mm, yeah, I've heard that a lot. So go out and buy your first house, guys.
1: First house, yeah, you never regret it, or you shouldn't regret it. I think get your network get your network as large as you possibly can whilst you whilst you're young and you've got the energy just throw yourself out there um you know meet everybody meet anybody you know talk to anybody you know you never know when these people are going to be going to be useful again um and I, I was lucky enough that i did establish a good network it, it, you know, it could have been larger but the older you get the less energy you have for these kind of things so yeah. really get your network established and but also um, think outside the box, you know, when I when I was very when I was starting out and surveying, it was for me, it was agency. I couldn't see I couldn't see anything else. Um, I wasn't well read enough or I, or I perhaps hadn't thought about other other sort of sectors of the market. So I, I just I stuck at agency for a long time, even when we had the, the credit crunch of 2007, 2008. Um, you know, if I'd have known more about what was available or what other options were around at that time, then I would have probably taken the leap at that time. But I was very sort of one, you know, single, single-minded, and, and uh, probably lacking knowledge, I guess, of, of, of you know what else was available to me. So, just keep your eyes open, um, establish the network. You know, work out what other options you've got available. Um, don't stand still for too long um and just put yourself out there really you know if, if you're not going to put yourself out there it's it's it's, it's difficult mm. I mean, you've, got to, you've got to you've got to pick up the courage and and really sort of you know grow a thick skin and, and put yourself out there and you know I did that quite a lot when I was younger I probably could have done it a bit more I suppose um but uh good question that is actually yeah <laughs> thanks
0: Thanks. One to ponder on. Yeah. One to ponder. Well, Andrew, it's been great speaking with you. Um, if people wanted to uh, reach out and learn more about you, what's the best way to connect with you?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, Tandem Real Estate is my, um, is my commercial agency. So, that's tandemrealestate.co.uk. My contact details are on there uh credo living is the commercial conversion platform credo living.co.uk i can be contacted you there i'll put links in the show notes for people if they want to find those but hope, hopefully in the west end when the bars are open and we're allowed out to play again i'll i'll, I'll be circling around mayfair and soho so you can spot me on there and just just grab me just grab me for a pint or a coffee <laughs>
0: we'll we'll do that i look forward to actually when i'm actually able to get back to the uk it's uh it's been quite a while i i was there in march of 2000 and uh 20 um okay. doing a speaking gig, gig with uh, brendan quinn and uh and that was the last time i was in the uk and oh. prior to that it was every month that i would be over oh. so it's um yeah, yeah it's been it's been a long a long break look forward to catching up with you next time i'm in Huge. town
1: yeah no that'd be nice thanks for having me on gavin
0: good to see you andrew thank you okay so that's it for episode number 63 of behind the facade thank you so much for listening As always, my number one ask is to leave a review or to share the episode with someone you think would benefit from it. In today's show notes, you'll find links to Andrew's Credo Living platform and to his Tandem Real Estate website, along with anything else that I can think of. Oh, yes, the Marathon de Salbe will be going in there as well, because this year is the 35th anniversary and you can just see some of the sites that uh, Andrew took on back when he did it. If you have any questions or topics you would like me to discuss in future episodes, please feel free to contact me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community Alternatively, you will always find me on social media using the Gavin J. Gallagher handle, and that includes my YouTube channel, which is the area of focus for me these days. Lastly, as always, stay up to date on various events and challenges I am working on by adding your name to my email list already discussed today, but can be found at gavinjgallaghercom forward slash go. All right, folks, hope to see you again next week.